0: Chapter Five. And I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. A scroll was writing on the inside and on the back, and sealed with seven seals. A mighty angel with a loud voice was shouting out this question, "Who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and to unroll it?" But no one, in all heaven or earth or from among the dead was permitted to open and read it. Then I wept with disappointment because no one anywhere was worthy. No one could tell us what it said. But one of the 24 elders said to me, cease weeping, for look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered and proved himself worthy to open the scroll and to break its seven seals. I looked and saw a lamb standing there before the 24 elders, in front of the throne and the living beings, and on the lamb were wounds that once had caused his death. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God sent out into every part of the world. He stepped forward, and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And as he took the scroll, the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each with a harp and golden vials filled with incense, the prayers of God's people. They were singing him a new song with these words, you are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it for you were slain. And your blood has brought people from every nation as gifts for God. And you have gathered them into a kingdom and made them priests of our God. They shall reign upon the earth. Then, in my vision, I heard the singing of millions of angels surrounding the throne and the living beings and the elders. The lamb is worthy, they sang loudly. The lamb who was slain, He is worthy to receive the power and the riches and the wisdom and the strength and the honor and the glory and the blessing. And then I heard everyone in heaven and earth and from the dead beneath the earth and in the sea exclaiming the blessing and the honor and the glory and the power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. And the four living beings kept saying, amen. And the
1: 24 elders fell down and worshiped him. i to be here today and share with you once again from the book of Revelation. But before I do that, I just want to acknowledge um, that this is a special Sunday for Jared as well. We're going to be um, doing something um, significant and, uh, next Sunday as we gather um, with you know, Jared will report back to us in fact, but he starts work tomorrow as a hospital chaplain. And I thought it'd be great if um, we could just take a moment uh, to pray for him as he starts that job. Next week we'll have a a more significant time in the midst of a baptism and everything else that's going on, just to um, find out how you've got on through the week, Jared, but also just to um, give thanks and pray. Uh, for you in a more significant way but um, and then of course there's the eighth so this this, it's one of these things where celebrations and thanksgiving and looking back and reflection takes place over a few weeks but I wanted to mark today by um, just taking a moment uh, to pray uh, for Jared Um, and to pray that the Lord will meet you in that work. And also for you, Helen, and we know this big change, and for everyone in the family at this time. So let's just take a moment to pray uh, for the Menon family, and particularly for Jared as he starts this new job. Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for Jared. Thank you for the blessing that he has been to this church over the last 22 years. Lord, thank you for just that that sense of calling that you've placed on his life and the way he's fulfilled that in this place. And I pray that, Lord, as he steps on into a a new role, in a new season of his life, um, into new opportunities that begin tomorrow morning, Lord, would you please be with him, help him. Help him to know that your spirit goes with him. And that call that brought him here takes him on into the hospital and into the ministry that you've prepared for him there. Lord, we pray your blessing on Helen and the girls as this big change takes place within their family and all the other changes that are to come in uh, the coming months. Lord, would you lead and guide them uh, through it and help them to know that you're gonna sustain and keep them. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Keep praying uh, through the week. Jared, may the Lord bless you. Turn back to that passage in um, Revelation. This is an incredible, an incredible passage. I, I, I think it's, it's got to be one of the most momentous passages in the Bible. It's an illustrative uh, passage. It's a, it's a symbolic passage passage, but it tells us so, so very much. It's a, it's a thrilling and exciting passage, and I hope to unpack some of it for you this morning as we briefly look into it. I will no way exhaust the particular um, things that this passage is telling us, but I'm hoping that I'll give you at least a starter, and you'll be able to then um, reflect on it, and meditate on it, and understand more from it as you look at it yourself. Um, all of you who grew up in the 1970s, uh, w- like me, uh, will be familiar with um, David Prowse. Um, he went on to fame and acclaim um, as Darth Vader. I mean, I, I was so proud of that when I found out that the green Costco man became Darth Vader, and. Uh, you know that um, you guys who grew up in the, in the, in the zeros and, uh, and, the, and the 2010s and you know even the 1990s, you missed out because there was this dude that would suddenly appear at the side of children about to embark across the road and he would like sort of suddenly appear, and he would be this huge green cross code man, and of course he was about seven foot tall, and um, he would now but here's the test, can any of you remember what the Green Cross Coats man's message was? What was the first thing that he said? Stop, stop, okay, stop. What was the second thing? Look, what was the third thing? Listen, and who remembers the fourth thing? Live, yeah, stop, look, listen, live. And I've uh, put them here in just in case you didn't get them. Uh, stop, look, listen, live, the green cross code man. And that vital message that hopefully saved, well, thousands of, we're still here, some of us, so uh, saved us, uh, helped us to understand how to cross the road. Stop, look, listen, live. And in some ways, I want to um, take that into this book and this message that is coming to us from the book of Revelation. Take the green cross code and bring it with you into this vision and let's do what the green cross code says. Let's stop, let's stop a moment. Let's consider this vision that John has here. Stop and look, look around. Uh, what do you see, um, listen, uh, what are you hearing? And, and more than that, how, like we were looking at it last week, how are you actually looking at things? I have to look at things through my specs as I was sharing last week, some of you have similarly uh, corrective lenses, sometimes we wear sunglasses, but we all have a view of the world that is slightly different from one another, because my view of the world is shaped by my experiences, um, by my personality, um, by the people around me, by where I've grown up, the culture I'm in, the language I speak. So many things shape my view of the world around and about me. And I've got to understand that my worldview is not maybe the same as yours or someone else's, but John is giving us a new worldview. And he's saying, "This is a worldview that is open to anyone who knows Jesus. This is a worldview that will transform the way that you see things, because that's what Jesus does. He changes the way we see things. Jesus came and he lived a special life, and he died at quite a dramatic death. And then his followers claimed that he had risen from the dead. Now that is strange. That is unusual. And 2,000 years later, here we are proclaiming that Jesus is not dead but living and risen and more than that, he's alive in our fellowship and in our lives and his Holy Spirit is the one who is showing us the way forward and one day we will go and be with him forever and ever. That we can know forgiveness of sins, that we can know God's love, we can know a relationship with him. All those things come to us because of Jesus. It's a different way of seeing the world around and about us. Last week, we were commanded to look. We saw an open door. And we saw a heavenly throne. And we saw one who is on the throne. And we saw thunder and lightning of the lawgiver. And we saw the rainbow of the promise keeper. This week, John continues his vision of that heavenly throne room. It's a, he suddenly sees more, there's more to it. He hasn't finished looking around yet. So let's get into chapter 5 and see what it is that John has seen there. You've heard it read to you. And the first thing that John says at the beginning of chapter 5 is that he was to look. Look. I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll. Look, look he says, there's a scroll and it's in the right hand of God. Now that's significant, the right hand was uh, the hand that, that had power and authority I- in a symbolic way and this scroll is a special scroll. It's in God's right hand, it's his most significant plan. It is the plan of to implement God's kingdom on earth. It is the plan to put right all of creation and it's a very detailed plan. This scroll is written, John says, on both sides. Every scrap of the scroll has been used up. There is so much detail here. There are so many plans and purposes put into this scroll that it's absolutely full. It says, everything there is to say. Nothing has been left out. This scroll in God's right hand is his perfect and complete plan and it is, it is absolutely all there. And it's important. And it's so important and it's so confidential, it's so kind of got to be kept under wraps until the time is right for it to be implemented that it is sealed by seven seals. Now, you're getting used to me saying this, but the numbers in Revelation are symbolic. And that number seven, and you'll be getting used to this as well, is the number of completion. So this is an in- incredibly important document, and it's an incredibly confidential document. Now listen. A mighty angel proclaimed with a loud voice, "Who?" is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals. Is there anyone who can open this document? Is there anyone who can implement God's plan? Is there anyone with the authority and the ability to actually execute what it is that God needs to do in order to change this world, in order to transform the world as we know it? It seems like there's a plan, but there is No way of putting it into action unless someone is able to take that plan, open it up and do what it says. But no one, no one can be trusted with this information. No one is worthy. No one is powerful enough to implement these orders. And so there's a plan, but there's no way of putting it into action. It seems like the world is like a, one of those old vinyl records that's been broken, and it is absolutely stuck in the same old track, death and destruction and pain and sadness and grief and death and destruction and pain and sadness and grief and death and destruction. Well, you've had enough. Already. Stuck. And that's enough to make John weep. It's enough to make me weep, should be. And John sees that the world can't get out of this groove. Stuck there forever. And it breaks his heart. And so he begins to cry. And he says in verse 4, I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And he's absolutely in despair. This world is stuck in that same old routine of death and destruction, grief and pain and sadness and death and destruction and grief and pain and sadness. And there's a painful pause. But then one of the elders, one of those human representatives who are gathered around the throne of God speaks and he says, weep no more. Verse five, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Look, look, there's a scroll. Look, there's a lion. There's someone who can open the scroll. There is someone who can implement God's plan. There is someone who can put things right. The Lion of Judah has conquered. Someone has the proven power and ability. As Isaiah predicted in Isaiah chapter nine, the cut stump of the tree of David has sent up another shoot. So that king and kingdom that was cut off, that seemed to be ended forever, has now sent up another shoot, the root of David has started to grow again. This special person is able to open the scroll. Now can you imagine the turnaround of emotion with John? For a moment there, he sees the plan to put everything right in all of creation, the, the cure for, for all the world's n- terrible needs and, and issues, for all the diseases, for all the pain, for all the confusion, the the end of death, the end of poverty and of persecution and of all the pain that goes on in people's lives. He could see it all there written down in the hand of God and no one, no one is able to open the scroll. But now, no, listen, John, there is someone who is worthy. He can take the scroll and he can open it. It is possible to move forward to God's future. We're not stuck in this same old rut forever and ever and ever with no hope and no future. And John turns to see this individual, the Lion of Judah. He turns to see who it is and as he turns, he sees their... Verse six, I saw a lamb standing. Don't worry, it gets even more confusing as we go. Just hang in there. John turns to look at the lion and he sees a lamb. The lion is the lamb. There are two words for lamb in Greek. And um, the word that's used here is the diminutive, so it's the little lamb. It is the little lamb that he sees. John turns to see a lion, this great lion of Judah, and he actually sees a little lamb, Mary's little lamb. But the little lamb that he sees has been slaughtered. It is getting strange, isn't it? But remember that John's vision is in the picture language of the Bible, the lamb speaks of purity, of innocence, of life and all its potential. And the slaughtered lamb speaks of sacrifice and a particular kind of sacrifice. It speaks of the sacrifice of Passover. Now Passover happened when the Israelites were, were, came to that point in their slavery in Egypt where uh, they were finally released from that slavery and, and allowed to leave the country. In the Passover the lamb was slaughtered and the all important blood of that slaughtered lamb was painted around the front door over the lintels and side jars of that door in every home. And and the deal went like this. It was a lamb in exchange for the firstborn. And when the angel of death saw the blood around that household's door, that household was counted as having paid the blood price. There was a life for a life. Now in his gospel, John records the words of John the Baptist on first seeing Jesus, approaching him for the first time in his ministry as Jesus comes across the fields towards John as they're outside with the crowd. John the Baptist says, behold, look, the same word that we're being asked, we've stopped, we're looking, look, the Lamb of God of God who takes away the sin of the world. It wasn't a lamb, it was Jesus. But John looked at Jesus and he saw a lamb and John the apostle in his vision in heaven looks for a lion and sees a lamb, a little lamb, looking as if it had been slain. But it gets stranger still because this little lamb, though slaughtered, stands tall. The slaughtered lamb still stands on the throne of heaven. The lamb lives. Death, even his death, has been conquered. And suddenly, everything in John's vision reorientates itself around. He suddenly has almost like a a different pair of spectacles to look at everything and everything reorientates itself around the lamb. The lamb becomes the center of everything. The lamb becomes the center of the throne, becomes the center of the beast, becomes the center of the elders, becomes the center of the spirit of God. But again, this lamb is different from any lamb I've ever seen and I think probably any lamb that you've ever seen because this is a lamb with seven horns and seven eyes. Whoa, what's going on here? How on earth can this be? Hang on, remember? Remember we're talking symbolically. And, and also the numbers in Revelation are symbolic numbers. They point to something more than their numeric value. So what this is telling us, John is um, trying to describe something to us and it's more than an eyewitness report. He's trying to tell us what, he, the, the thing, what it is that the thing that he sees actually means. So he's not just trying to say, this is what I saw. He's trying to say, I saw this and I think this is what it means. Seven stands for perfection and completion, remember. And horns symbolize strength or power. And eyes symbolize knowledge or wisdom. So this little lamb, so obviously slaughtered and yet so evidently alive, is endowed with complete and perfect power. It is all powerful. This lamb has ultimate and absolute authority, hence the seven horns. And this little lamb, so obviously slaughtered and yet so evidently alive, possesses a perfect and complete wisdom. There is nothing that this lamb does not know. And more than this, it's more than just a knowledge, it's the absolute clarity. He knows everything. There's a There's wisdom here that goes beyond knowledge. He knows what to do with the knowledge that he has. And those eyes of his are sent into all the earth. He sees everything. So John expects to see a lion. He sees a lamb. The lion is the lamb, slaughtered but standing, all wise, all powerful. I think that probably blew his mind and it really blows mine a little bit as well. And look, this lamb, who is a lion, who is a lamb, takes the scroll. He is worthy, he has power, he has the ability, he accepts the responsibility for unfurling God's plan. He can make this happen. He can do what God intends to do. He will establish the kingdom of God in all its perfection, and all its completion. He will set all of creation back to rights. So he goes right up to the throne of God and takes the scroll from the right hand of him who sits on the throne, just like that. And it's in his hand now. And that cues an incredible response in the heavens. We've been looking, we've stopped, we've looked, we're going to listen. We're gonna listen to a new song. the the four creatures and the 24 elders start to sing a new song before they declared the praise of the one who was on the throne. They said he was worthy, worthy of all their praises, worthy of all honour, worthy of glory. Now it is the lamb who is worthy, worthy of praise and worship, worthy because he is slain, the eternal word in Jesus created all things. As living Lord, he rose from the dead. But the victory, the way he won, was not in creation. It wasn't by rising, it wasn't by rising from the dead. It was because he died. He won by dying. You are worthy because you were slain. In his death he became victorious. By your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. That includes us. That includes us who are here today. We are people from every tribe and language and people and tongue. Even today we represent a whole host of different places and countries and cultures and traditions. And it was for us that he died. He paid dearly for you and for me. He gave up his life. He gave his life to buy us back again. That's what ransomed means. We belonged to another because we had unknowingly sold ourselves to the enemy of souls, the father of all lies. But with his death, by his blood, Christ bought us back. And it looked like the forces of evil had won, that all of God's creation was ruined along with humanity when we turned away from God. But in an amazing twist, Jesus undid that, not by fighting it, not by judging it. Those things will still be to come. But by dying for it is how he won. And it turns out that there is enough life in his death, not only to overwhelm death and First, it's bonds just for himself, but for all of those who will believe. To as many as believe in him, he gave the right to become children of God. He made his people, those of us who believe in him, what the law of God had intended to make the Israelites at Sinai so long ago a kingdom of priests, you have made them, verse 10, a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Priests are intermediaries. They live on earth, but they're connected to heaven. They mediate God's presence. And back in Sinai, the people of God missed this point entirely. They thought that they were connected to God for what they could get out of God. They didn't realise that they were connected to God in order to be a blessing to everyone around them. Folks, do you realise that? You are connected to God if you know and love Jesus, you're connected to God so that you can be a blessing to everyone you meet. You are to mediate God's presence to everyone you meet. You are in the world but connected to heaven because Jesus has made you a kingdom and priest to our God. We are a kingdom of priests living 24 seven with our family, friends, neighbors, and colleagues. Helping them to connect to God through Jesus. The ransomed people of God, the nobodies, the slaves who used to belong to someone else are now a kingdom of priests. They shall reign. They are the ones who will be in charge. That's a bit of a mind-bending thought. So look. Look, myriads of angels. Now all of created order is coming together around the throne, around the one who holds the scroll. In verse uh, 11, it says, I, I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures, the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor, and glory, and blessing. Now if any of you were counting, what do you think that number comes to? Seven. Seven things that they want to say about God. Seven blessings that they want to make of Him. Complete praise. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter two verses 10 and 11 tells us that at the name of Jesus one day every knee will bow to the glory of God the Father and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Well here is that moment. Listen to what John um, hears in verse 13. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. So what can we learn from what John sees? Well, last week we could see that heaven wasn't actually that far away. Heaven is closer than you imagine. Heaven is Very, very close by. John could get to it right away from Patmos. We can be in it right where we are. God is on the throne and he's never off it. God is in control. This week, I want you to take away at least something from these thoughts. God has a plan. Everything that is needful in the future to change what we are, the place that we're in and the situation that we face God has a plan for. He has a plan that will sort everything out. And the key to unraveling that plan, the unraveling of history, the meaning of life, the hope for the future is found in the suffering of the Lamb of God because He is the Lamb that was slain, because He is the one who gave His life. He can take the scroll and He can open it And he can begin to do all the things that God requires to be done to sort out all the problems, all the consequences of sin. And he can unfurl all the new possibilities that are only to be found in God's kingdom. His suffering reshapes the world we live in. His suffering reshapes my life. It reshapes your life. He suffered alongside us to remake us. And He suffered alongside us to deliver us from our suffering. And we all go through suffering, but remember when you are going through suffering, you never ever suffer alone. There is one who has suffered before you and suffers alongside you in order to change and transform the suffering that you are going through into the perfect, and wonderful plan of God for all eternity. In his suffering we find meaning not just for our own lives but for the life of the world. The price is paid. How much do you think you're worth? How much do you think someone would pay for you? What would you think it would cost to put you right, to set you free? The price seemed too high. There was no one to pay it until the lamb came. The lamb lives. He lives, although he was slain, he lives. He has paid the price. He lives for you and for me. And Jesus holds the scroll. I love this quote. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. That's one worth uh, remembering. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. Jesus holds the future. He has won. He is worthy. And the four living creatures said amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. I want you to listen to the words of this song that we're just gonna play and reflect on. They'll come up on the screen as well. And as we play through this song, reflect on these words which talk about the worthiness of God and ask yourself, do I, am I ready to give praise for that? Am I, in the, am I seeing things like John saw them? Have I stopped, looked, listened? And will I live? If you stop, look, listen, and you take in the vision that John presents, you will also live, not just for the next few years, but for all eternity. Listen to then, to these words.
0: Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting?